This is the Andrew Lake Podcast, and in this episode, we're talking about transactional analysis, a branch of psychology which was pioneered by Eric Byrne. I'm okay. You're okay. Do you believe that? Is that a fair assumption to make? Is that what this conversation is pointing towards? Is it a fair conclusion? This is what we're going to discuss. But first, I think we should back up and talk about where this phrase came from. Now, there is a popular self-help book by Thomas Anthony Harris called I'm Okay, You're Okay. I get no affiliate marketing for this. I'm just speaking about it because I think it has ideas which are great for everyone to know. And what this book is is an explanation of Eric Byrne's transactional analysis, psychology, in practical and down-to-earth terms. What is transactional analysis? Well, we've got our textbook answer to that, which is we've got a transaction, which is You give me something, and I'll give you something, and that way we've traded, and we've got a transaction, and then we've got analysis, which is putting that transaction into some sort of data or measuring device, in this case it's words, and then analyzing that data, trying to decipher what it means. Eric Byrne was a group therapist, a counsellor who had his background in psychoanalysis. And what he'd do is he would get a whole bunch of people into a group and let them talk to each other. They'd have a conversation. And this was his way of counselling them. He would guide them. And what he'd do is come up with structures of analysis that would help guide the conversation into more positive light. And his contribution to the world of therapy was creating devices that can be taught so that people can use them to help themselves. So in therapy, we have two sort of levels, which is one where someone has a problem that they talk about and the therapist will guide them or help them or suggest to them answers to their problems. And then there's 
another level which is more sustainable or helpful, which is the patient will talk about their problems and then the therapist will teach them how to solve the problem. They will give them a device that they can use in multiple situations. Of course, the line is blurred because you need to be helped a little bit in order to have the method of a system or blueprint demonstrated to you. But really, any therapy that is worth its salt is teaching you things that you can use in a, in a variety of ways and you understand the mechanics of how it works rather than just answering a single question. If we put it into a scale, we can say, you can ask one question and I'll give you one answer. And then on the other end of that scale, you can say, well, there's a type of question and this is how you come up with the answer. So you can answer all kinds of questions that are that type of question if you're being taught a mechanism which is useful and effective for those kinds of questions. So Eric Byrne was sitting around with his patients, analysing what they were talking about, and trying to come up with these methods. And what he found was that there were certain roles that people played. There were certain scripts that happened. And there were certain states of mind that people would talk from. And he was able to identify the distinctions between these things and explain them to people in a way that would make them more conscious of the things they were saying. So this was based on game theory. It had its background in game theory because a transaction in a manipulative sort of way is a game where one person is trying to win over the other. So Eric Byrne has this famous book called Games People Play, and he was writing out the roles and the scripts and the goals that people would try and work towards in playing games in a conversational style. For example, one of the games is Ain't It Awful? And we've all played this game before. It's quite easy to recognize it when you hear it. And it's quite simply a whole bunch of people sitting around bitching and moaning about how terrible something is. They'll talk about what's wrong with it. They'll talk about how it's inadequate. They'll be saying how bad it is, how much it's let me down, how much I'm dissatisfied with it, how it's not what it should be, which is something good. And this can go on and on. And if you know that this is the game you're playing and you recognize when this is being played, you can just keep on playing it for an, an endless amount of time. Another one would be, or one of the games that Eric Byrne identified, is called Now I've Got You, You Son of a Bitch. And this is when, in one person's mind, they think that someone else has done something wrong. And instead of just coming out and confronting it, they're going to 
step around what it is that they've done wrong and catch them denying that they've done something wrong. So you can imagine when someone's speaking to someone else, if they think they're wrong about something, they're going to be pointing out all the indications that they have that they are wrong without actually saying what it is that they've done wrong. So it can be a specific thing that they've done, and it can also be a personality trait. And this is probably most best seen in married couples when they fight about the cornflakes, or the towel on the bathroom floor, or the amount of time they had to wait in the car. That's when you know that they're not really arguing about those things, it's the things that are behind those smaller expressions that make them argue and turn it into a game where someone wins and the other loses. And the person who's trying to play that game in a manipulative sort of way is playing the game, now I've got you, you son of a bitch. As another example, there's the game, look how hard I tried. So this is the person who is late to work and they walk in huffing and puffing and complaining about the traffic and just expressing how stressed they are that they are late. Or the person who says, I'm so tired from doing this assignment. I'm worn out from doing all this work. This was an incredibly difficult thing for me to do. This was very hard for me to do. I put so much effort into this. I was trying so hard. This is a great game to play with your boss if you're trying to do something that impresses him or you're trying to sidestep something that you were meant to do but didn't do or you feel inadequate about something that you haven't done. You can play this game. That's usually where this game stems from. And you can see how it's a manipulative way of trying to gain the upper hand without confronting what really is at the core of the issue. What is at the core of the transaction? If there's something that you've done and you are clear about what you've done, you will just express that without trying to say how hard it was for you to do it. So look how hard I've tried is another one of those games that Eric Byrne identified. To dissolve a game and to see through it, all you need to do is point out the assumptions. So Eric Byrne tells this cute story of this friend that comes over for dinner and the friend bumps into a table and says, oh, sorry. And then he says an offhand insult to his wife and then says, oh dear, that was probably a bit rude. And then spills some wine on the carpet and then says, oh dear. And the person who's the host of this party says, look, you can smash into my table and you can insult my wife and you can spill wine all you want, but just never say sorry. And this was an example of seeing through the game of someone who is apologetic for things that they are obviously the instigator of themselves. Sort of like a nervous tick or a 
unawareness that they have of their behaviours. It was a big step for me in my journey to learn that there are scripts that go with an environment and roles of any situation. In a situation, there is a number of phrases and words that want to be said that will help move the actions forward of the environment. If you are going into a new environment, such as a new job or a new community activity, it's best to observe what people say and what people do to successfully navigate the environment. If you can emulate key phrases and you can speak in an agreeable way, you can learn to adopt a role quite quickly. Of course, ideally, you want to be versatile in how you adopt roles. There are times when it's actually best to break the script. And this is great when you're having a stimulating conversation with someone. If you go to a social event, there's often a set of scripts or standard bland conversation scripts that can come up and breaking those and actually going against those is a way of creating interest. If you're in a long-term relationship with someone, you've built scripts around the activities that you do and the environment that you are always inhabiting. So if you want to spice things up, you can go against that. When they say something, say something unexpected. Bring up something that's obtuse, something that's weird, something that's left of field, and break it apart and stop making your conversation so stale. This is a really good way to bring back some spice to your social interactions. But remember, the use of scripts is something we want to understand and use in multiple ways. So it's not just about breaking it up or just about conforming. Really, we want to be able to do both and take a multifaceted view of scripts. And now we come to states of mind. Eric Byrne identified three states of mind, or what we can call ego states, to help disseminate what games are being played. So we don't just want to be able to have our script, which is the kind of game that people play, because then we'd have to learn the script for every game that is in our life. Instead, we can much easily identify when someone is playing a game by identifying what their ego state is. And this, of course, goes for yourself, first and foremost. We want to be able to identify these states of mind in ourselves in real time as they happen. It does take a bit of practice to do this, but I'm going to give a clear description of things that you can look out for. So we've got three ego states to identify when you're doing a social interaction. The first is the child. This is the childish ego state. The second is the parent. 
So this is the parental ego state. And the third is the adult. This is an adult ego state. If we think clearly just about what these words mean, it can be quite obvious when we're speaking from them. When do we use the words, you're acting childish? That's a childish way of speaking. And we can contrast that with, I'm having an adult conversation. Or, it's time to grow up and act like an adult. The parental ego state is one that we don't always insert into our everyday data lives. It's more of a family dynamic when it's between people. But you can see that in parents when they say, I have to act like a parent sometimes. Remember that I am your parent. I have to be in that role as parent. And in fact, these three ego states were starting to be taught to children for family dynamics in raising kids. And that was something that Thomas Anthony Harris puts forth in his book, I'm Okay, You're Okay. So you can teach a child to recognize these things and say, well, are you acting like a child? Or this is my parent voice? Or let's have an adult conversation. So you can say to your child, we're going to have an adult conversation and that will put them into the ego state where they have to be more like an adult and less like a child. But let me flesh out this description of child, parent and adult because it's really important that we have a rich picture and clear distinctions between these three. Now, all you have to do is ask yourself, What are the characteristics of a child? What are the characteristics that children exhibit that are only in children? Now, all of us at some point have come into contact with children. It's not very hard to observe that they are very different to adults and parents. Children are excited by things. They are inquisitive, they're emotional, so they can have both temper tantrums and become what we might call rotten emotionally, or they can become extremely excited and overjoyed and happy, or what we could say sweetly over-emotional. So these are some of the characteristics of what a child is like. And you can think about some of your own and you can observe some of your own in other children. What are the characteristics that a parent exhibits? In my mind, or what I think of, is the parent tries to guide or control or nurture the child. The parent wants to impose their understanding onto the child because the child's understanding of the world is not adequate enough. So the parent is caring, the parent is controlling, the parent is laying down rules, they are restricting the child, 
They are also introducing the child to things. They are opening them up to the world. And these are the sort of things that we end up doing just because our parents do them. So there's a whole array of things that we do throughout our day which are just given. We don't think about them. It's just the way that we do them. And we need a component of that because otherwise we're going to be always trying to think up fresh ways of doing things. So creativity and originality does need to be contrasted with how things can run practically. And then we come to the adult ego state. So the adult is the one that can navigate the parent and the child. Now, it might be quite a big question for some people to ask what are the characteristics of an adult? What does it mean to be a fully-fledged functioning adult? And we all have different ideas about that. But as Eric Byrne put it, the adult is the one that can oversee things, that can think rationally, the one that can compare options. So the child only has one option with its emotional reaction to something. And the parent only has one option to its behavioral reaction to something. But the adult can see different options. They can make a more nuanced appropriation of what the best course of action to take is. Now, we can skewer these three ego states with positive and negative or pathological and well-functioning because not all child development is positive or uh, not all parent-child relationships are forging of the most optimal upbringing of a child. Sometimes parents are manipulative in a negative sort of way, but it is a complex dynamic. It's a whole web of different factors. So we need to go easy on our parents. We need to not hold it so far against them because they're only doing the best that they can. But we do also need to recognize that the way we are brought up has a bearing on how our inner child is developed and how our inner parent is developed. So what you can do is the next time you're having a conversation, ask yourself, is this from the child ego state or is this from the parent ego state? And if you can identify that, then what you're really doing is moving into the adult ego state. You're starting to recognize the different states of mind that come from our conversations. And if we plug that into our games, we can see that the child and the parent are often being manipulative or trying to win the game, where the adult might be either sidestepping the game or playing the game just because it's fun and not taking it too serious. So an adult conversation can still be part of games and scripts and roles that people play, but it does it with a distinctly different taste in that it's not so attached to the outcome or the dominance of the people involved in the game. And now we come to the title of our talk today, which is I'm okay, you're okay. 
how does this all tie in with the assumption that I'm okay and you're okay? Well, this is what Harris was talking about in his self-help book. He was explaining the games that people play and identifying ego states so that you can recognize them in yourself and in your interactions. And then he's bringing in these underlying assumptions that happen behind these games and ego states. There are four main assumptions with which we have all our conversations. These are the underlying assumptions or the the background assumptions that come through each interaction that we have with someone. At the lowest level, the most negative level or manipulative level, we have the assumption, I'm not okay, you're not okay. So, from the person's point of view, there's something wrong with me and there's something wrong with you. Now, this distressing assumption can have a whole array of expressions and ways it manifests itself in ego states and games and conversations and things that people say. Sometimes it's not always obvious. It's not always distressful. Sometimes it's very subtle. But underlying the transaction is this sort of feeling that there's something wrong with me and there's also something wrong with you. Now, if someone can graduate up our scale of negative towards positive, we can say, I'm not okay, but you are okay. So this is when someone recognizes that not everyone is like them. Not everyone feels bad in the same way that they do. And in their mind, they see that they are wrong, but not everyone is wrong. I feel there's something wrong with me, but I can see that there's not really anything wrong with you. My idea of what's possible has opened up. It's expanded towards positivity. Now, if we graduate another level up our scale from negative to positive, what will happen is those assumptions will flip because the next combination is I'm okay, you're not okay. That's when I see that I'm I'm right, I'm confident, I can see what's going on with me and I'm positive about that, but I can also see what's wrong with you and everything is wrong with you. There's so many problems that you are not seeing. I'm here to help you. I'm here to fix you. I have to force you into becoming better. And that dynamic has a whole different way of expressing itself in the conversations and the interactions and the games that we play. Of course, we can graduate up to our top level of positivity, which is, I'm okay, you're okay. And that's a very different set of assumptions to our first one, which is, I'm not okay, you're not okay. Now, when I'm okay and you're okay, 
it doesn't mean that we don't have problems. We still do have problems. We still have things that we need to fix. There's things we need to work on. There's opportunities that we have to take advantage of. There's still things that have gone wrong that we need to rectify and discuss. But it's very different making those advancements in conversation with the background assumption that I'm okay and you're okay. The flavor of the conversation, it's much more adult-like. It's much more mature. It's more open and it's less emotionally charged. We can do it more rationally and practically with a better efficiency at moving towards an effective way of fixing these problems. I'm not okay. You're not okay. Everything's wrong. We just can't fix anything. It's just terrible. I'm not okay. You're okay. Everything's wrong with me. I can't fix it. But I can see that you're alright. There's nothing too bad about you. I'm okay. You're not okay. I'm the one that's got it figured out. I'm right about these things. I've got it made. I know how things work. But you're pathological. There's something wrong with you. You need fixing. And finally, I'm okay. You're okay. Let's have an adult conversation about our issues and our opportunities. And let's work at this together with a common understanding that fundamentally speaking, we're not so bad. I think this is a great psychological map that we can use to navigate our conversations and our interactions. But I don't think Eric Byrne or Thomas Anthony Harris took it quite far enough because the assumptions that we have about other people are also a reflection of the assumptions we have about the world. The trusting nature of a person rests largely on how they were developed and raised as a child. When they reach adulthood, it's up to them to understand where they've come from and choose which parts of their upbringing they can reject or accept. And being able to trust the world and trust life is one of the core principles of understanding how life works. If you're moving through the world thinking that the world is out to get you, you're going to have a very different flavor of experience with the events that happen around you and your interpretation of the events that are happening around you. We can put our four levels of okayness and not okayness onto the world by saying, I'm not okay and the world is not okay. And if we can graduate to saying, I'm not okay, but the world is okay and the world does have answers and positive solutions to things, then we can at least move up one level. And of course, 
We all know those people that say, I am okay, but the world is messed up. The world needs fixing. That is a very different dynamic, and you can think of many ways in which people manifest that assumption. But all of us, I think, need to get to this deeper understanding of our existential assumption, which is that I'm okay and the world is okay. I think if we can get to that plane, we can be much more efficient in our conversation on how to fix the world's problems, how to face the complications that we have, how we can be a little bit less emotive and a little bit more analytical or industrious towards building a better relationship between ourselves and between ourself and the world and between all the different connections that we have in all those dynamics. I do feel I need to add a disclaimer to the application of this map to everyday life. Any psychological model is only a partial view of how things work. You might find it enjoyable and effective to apply these ideas of the ego states and the games people play to your interactions, but you must bear in mind that there's always a limit. People are always much more complicated than the psychological maps that we use to understand them. Environments, interactions, processes are all part of an interconnected web which we can only ever see a part of. So don't go overboard with applying this technique. Don't think that it's the be-all and end-all. Just think of it as one tool in your toolkit of psychological maps. I don't know about you, but I'm definitely feeling pretty okay right now. I hope you're pretty feeling okay pretty much right now. My name is Andrew, and we'll be back soon with more. Enjoy the outro music. I do like this outro music. I guess it's okay. Speed.